Hello, everybody. Just a very quick one about Instagram. If you're on it, Meta, the parent company, is reducing the number of political posts visible to users on their feed. This is a real thing, not a hoax. So go to your Instagram profile, tap the three horizontal lines in the top right corner to open the settings tab, scroll down to what you see, click on content preferences, open political content, and turn on don't limit political content. That's an option. Otherwise, you won't see almost anything we post because we are deemed political. Please do that now or you won't even see the posts about our shows, our fun things. So if you want to see Guilty Feminist content and know when we're coming to a place near you, releasing a new podcast, do it now. I'm a feminist, but I spent half an hour today looking at photos of Matthew Perry then and now because he is the friend who has changed the most. He has changed the most. I mean, objectively. And now I would obviously absolutely never have sought out pictures of old Matthew Perry. It's just not what I do. It's not my style. Okay. But one of them, (laughs) you're not believing that, Kima. (laughs) But something came up on Instagram. Someone else posted it, not me. And it was a stark difference between season one Chandler and now. And I did, I have to admit, one time I was in New York and I was in the village in front of one of those big apartment blocks, like in Friends. And guess who was standing on the corner smoking a cigarette? What? Matthew Perry. And I did, at that point, text a friend and say, I feel like I'm in the one where Chandler got really, really old and sad. He was such a sort of vital young man and I became intrigued and fascinated and, uh, by, his by Matthew. journey. By his journey. By his the journey. life got sucked out of him by a long-running TV series that isn't really that good. I mean, it's like a sort of warm, comforting duvet, friends. Uh, I hate it! I understand. But you were very young when it first came out. What, how, what year were you born? Uh, 94. Oh, you were no years old when it came out. It came out in 94. So, Explains why I don't like it. Yeah. I have no idea what it is. Listen, Matthew Perry's been worse affected by friends than you. That's all I'm saying. Uh, uh, uh. Um, I'm a feminist, but I am not cool with anybody who doesn't like the song WAP, a.k.a. Wet Ass Pussy. Okay. Yeah, I said it. I'm upset. People who say that it's gone too far, people that say that women shouldn't talk that way, I say, get off of this planet. You leave. That song is great. It's a masterpiece. Comedic genius. Amazing. <laughs> Macaroni in the pot. That's some wet-ass pussy. Okay. Can I just <laughs> back up a little bit now? Is This this is the new Cardi B song. Yeah. yeah it's it's Megan the Stallion. Yeah. It's the new one. Because Cardi B's on it, but is she? Oh, okay. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I've stumbled here. If I'm perfectly honest, I, I don't know a lot about contemporary music or the musicians that sing it. Can you please fill us in on WAP? You hit that. It's called Wet Ass Pussy. Um, You hit the nail on the head, Deb. So it is by Cardi B featuring Megan Thee Stallion. But when you listen to it, you realize that Meg really, really shines. She really shines. She's outstanding. Um, She's also Mm -hmm. from Houston, and that's something I'll never stop talking about. I know, because Um, you yourself are from Houston. (laughs) 
And so yeah. many great musicians come out of Houston. Um, I'm only ever from Houston when it has to do with Beyonce or indeed Megan Thee Stallion. Um, no, or, or Lizzo. I'm just from general America. Or Lizzo, who was raised there after the age of 10. That counts. That counts. 100% claiming that. Um, so the song is amazing. It's just about uh, natural, you know, lubrication of the vagine. Uh, and it's dope. Do you know, I was doing a workout today and I just put on like one of those playlists and it was just naughty's music. And I'm not was, familiar with it. Sorry. I understand. I understand. <laughs> you Again, you were very young, uh, but it was awful because all the men were lecherous and all the women were sorry. Every song that was on the playlist was like, I'm sorry, baby, come back. I'm sorry if I hurt you. Super sorry. Oh, I've probably done something wrong. I don't really know what I've done wrong, but you, you're angry, yeah, yeah. so I must be wrong. I'm sorry. It was amazing. It was like song after song from Sorry Women. Maybe it was just that playlist and whoever put it together, but it did seem like women were very sorry in the, oh, the North. It was like, it's obviously my fault. It's, that was like just a general vibe. A handy pee. I'm sure there were many many powerful women of the noughties, but this playlist did not tell a great story about the sexual politics of that time. Yeah. And I do remember living through it and it wasn't as feminist as it is now by a long freaking shot. Well, the sexual politics of this time just involve um, dripping all over the place like a slug and I'm here for it. It. <laughs> when I've seen you posting a lot about the song, and I—I I mean, it's—it's it's clearly a joke, isn't it? Wet ass, the wet no, ass. No, it's not. Um, so ass. I'm not a grammar person or an English person. Does anybody know how ass is used? It's like yeah, like you're the grown ass man. It's yes, ass exactly. is an intensifier, it's but it's kind of a joke to use that yeah, intensifier yeah, right before the p word. It's so funny, but here's the bit. I don't know why I can't say Wet the P word. Pussy. It just feels awkward before we've really gotten into well, the show. I couldn't before this song came out. And you know what? Now I'm liberated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it it's a good joke. It's a good joke. Because, it yeah, ass is an intensifier, but yeah. But, yeah, I think there are just some really funny things in it. It's like, grab your boots and a coat, you know? It's amazing. It's amazing. Wow. Listen, if you're here for it, Kima Bob, I'm here for you and therefore I'm here for it. Thank um, you so much. I'm a feminist, but if I could go back in time, in truth, I'd rather meet Mae West than Emmeline Pankhurst because the night out you'd have with Mae West would be absolutely legendary. Mm. Is um, that a cow person? Is that a cow girl? No. So Mae West, you are too young for Mae West, but so is everybody alive. She's been dead for ages. Mae West said things like she was an actress and she was a wit, uh, but she was the person who said, is that a gun in your pocket or are you just happy to see me? Nice. Uh, she also said men are like linoleum floors, lay them right and you can walk all over them for years. Love it. Um, Love it. She said there are no good girls gone wrong, just bad girls found out. She said, I don't know a lot about politics, but I can recognize a good party man when I see one. That's nice. a, that's a pun nice. on party, a party, I believe. Man. Uh, she said, I'd rather be looked over than overlooked. And she said, I like two kinds of men, Americans and foreigners. And <laughs> she said, oh, I've got a wet ass pussy. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know she originated that. I just Googled her. I'm a feminist, but when a creepy man hit on me in the grocery store the other day uh, by saying, and I quote, you have a nice body. Wow. Yep. So direct, okay? Instead of telling them to, to F off, I just said, what else? 
<laughs> what did he say? <laughs> no, he, he was just like, do you have a name? And I was like, no, I don't have one because I was freaked out. I was just literally like, I was like, I'm here in my mask in this full on grocery store buying food. I didn't come here to shop for you. Mind you, this man had no food. He had no food. Why was he in the grocery store? There are apps for the kind of thing that he was trying to do in there. It was absolute <laughs> Did you it's recommend crazy. an app to him? Did you say? No, I just kind of like scurried away and I was just like, I just came for the fruit, thanks. <laughs> yeah. Mad. I Mad. Hate- I just like scampered away and I was like, oh, thank you. He was like, do you have a name? And I was like, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've never heard of a, a what now? A nam, a nom. So sorry, I gotta go. <laughs> I'm a feminist, but today a friend was posing a question to me about whether or not she was going on a date or not because she couldn't tell. And I coined a Carrie Bradshaw uh, moment. So I couldn't help wondering does social distancing mean we're now all in the friend zone? <laughs> You're fired. I don't know if I have the authority to do that, but you got to go. Okay. Bye. I, well, you now own the show. I'm going <laughs> to go upstairs. Well, that was and, easy. I'm going to go upstairs and watch some of Good Girls. <laughs> I'm enjoying Good Girls. That's hilarious. I'm so upset. I know friend zone is not a feminist phrase, and that is why it is in the I'm a feminist butt section. Um. So I'm a feminist but When I was told today that I was being asked to be on TV twice in one week for the first time in my life, which would be a great move for my career and just so many things. My first thought was I only have one good outfit and now I'm going to have to go put myself at COVID risk to go to the mall. Can't you buy something online? No, not in time, Deborah. Not in time. It's fine. I'm going to let sneezers, you know, sneeze on me and coughers cough on me. So I can find what's on sale. I don't care. Do you know what? I gotta do what I gotta do, baby. The main thing I heard there is you're on television twice this week. <laughs> I'm so pumped. It's gonna uh, record in a little bit. And I'm, uh, yeah, I'm just like, what? And I'm just like, ah! What? Can yeah. you say what shows you're doing so we can watch them? Yeah. And I'm pretty sure it's not like illegal or something. Um, I'm going to do the stand-up sketch show, nice. which is going to come on after Love Island, babes. Ooh. So everyone's going to be like, oh, God, <laughs> I can't believe that Maggie just got pied off, babes. And then they're going to be like, what's going on after that? I guess I'll stick around. Um, so excited about that. And then I'm going to be on Jonathan Ross's new show. Um, so doing some stand-up bits. Fancy. And I'm just like what and also i'm just like crap i've been like in my house talking to computers for the past three months now i have to talk to people and cameras <laughs> i'm excited very but seriously excited. though there's not going to be a makeup artist probably because social distancing and i'm gonna have to put clothes on my body and these are the things that i'm concerned about the comedy will do itself From a variety of bedrooms and kitchens via Zoom, the Spontaneity Shop presents The Guilty Feminist with me, Deborah Francis White, guest co-host Kima Bob, and very special guest John L. Lewis, Dr. Stacey C.C. Graham, Mia Togo, talking about wellness. Woo! Yeah, baby! <laughs> 
This is The Guilty Feminist, the podcast in which we explore our noble goals as 21st century feminists and the hypocrisies and insecurities which undermine them. I'm Deborah Francis White, with me is Kima Bob, and we are talking about wellness. Um, hey, Deborah, Are a, you feeling well, man? Do you know what? I am, given it's 2020, and I've been in lockdown for the best part of six months, I am feeling extremely well. Uh, partly because I think I've had a break from charging around so much. Um, yeah. Now, are you feeling well, Kima? Yeah, oddly. Okay. Acknowledging the wider disaster of hashtag coronavirus, hashtag quarantine. It's been really uh, weird to have so much time to uh, reflect and kind of recenter myself. Mm. Um, so... I feel like my brain's gone through a bit of a journey, but in a weird way, it's in a better place than it has been, like, years in the past. I don't know. Call me a psycho, but I love a pandemic. <laughs> I won't call you a psycho because that would not be inclusive language. Now, I'm going to introduce our guests who are coming up later, just in case... They want to make a noise, chip in, do some. You know, often we have uh, Grace Petrie and Folky Ben here as our house band. Uh, and they, as I have said before, operate like a little bit like the hecklers on the Muppets, the two old men that sit in the box. Today on music, we have Amrit Kaur. Hello, Amrit. Woo! Hi, everyone. Thank you for having hey. me. I'm delighted. Uh, I don't know if you can be two old men the way that Grace Petrie and Folky Ben can. <laughs> probably not. You can probably just be one young woman. And just to be very clear, Grace Petrie is a woman and neither Grace nor Perky Ben are old. They just, they have that dynamic together. Should have warned me. I would have brought my instruments and sound oh, effects. Fantastic. What a good Don't idea. Also, we have three wonderful guests who will be tuning in later. Uh, one is Janelle Lewis. Hello, Janelle. Hi, how are you? Hi, I'm very well. One is Dr. Stacey C.C. Graham. Hello, Stacey. Hi. Hi. And one is Mia Togo. Mia? Hi. Hi. Great to be here. Thank you. So later we'll come to you, but if you want to chip in and say anything, you are very, very welcome because you're our only audience. So ironically, some of us, some of us have really suffered through this in all sorts of ways, and but some of us are now coming to the point in lockdown or semi. I think the reason we're feeling a bit better is because we've unlocked a bit. So we're able to find our connection, maybe go to a yoga class safely, We've been able to see a hairdresser. We've been able to sort of reconnect with a few friends, even if it's like from six feet away across a garden. So we've been able to do some of those restorative things, but we are now benefiting from the rest of lockdown. We're not charging back out to stand in loud pubs and shout at each other. We're not expected to go to five meetings a day. Yeah, um, I think I've also undergone like a facial rehab from having to like look at my own face so much i'm like do you know what i love it see that's interesting because i think we're polarizing on so many things when this is over we're going to come out with best friends being totally polarized so people that completely behave the same are now going to behave very differently and one of the ways is i think in how we've responded to this zoom culture where I have to look at my own face the whole time and why do i have to look at my own face the whole time i don't well, understand it you can always hide self-view, baby, so you can decide, oh, can you, you know, do I want to, yeah, yeah, I do it all the time. And so you can decide, hey, am I going to be a part of my face right now? 
I'm going to take a break from my face. I just need it's to take amazing. some breaks from my face because I, I think I've become quite, in some ways, like I'm more realistic about what I look like. I think I've accepted the fact I do not look like Audrey Hepburn. I miss the fantasy, man. I do miss the fantasy. <laughs> well, who did you feel like you looked like before? I never thought I looked like Audrey Hepburn, but sort of, you know what I mean? Like you have an idea of how your face is because you manage it in the mirror or in a selfie. Yeah, yeah. And when you can see it talking the whole time and it's like, you can't this live in different. the denial anymore. I think I definitely thought like that I looked like myself, but just with like amazingly flawless skin. And over the like series of lockdown, I think I've been hit with like stress and who knows what else. Mm. And I've had this crazy breakout that uh, I've just had to, like, see every day and show people every day. <laughs> I know that feeling. I think some of us are coming out of this going, this is how I look, and it's fine. Yeah. I've seen it loads yeah. now. And oh, others no. are coming out going, oh, I want to fix this or I want to change that. And I, I'm honestly- like, I want to wear a mask. <laughs> well, luckily, that's the law when you go nice. into a shop. Firstly, you do not need to wear a mask for any reason other than health and safety. You're unbelievably beautiful. And secondly, we should not, don't weep, it's not an Oscar. That's why I came. I came for compliments. I don't even want to co-host the show. I just want to say bad things about myself and then everyone says the opposite. Are yeah, you here on a fishing expedition? Because That's I should have I brought am. rods. It's who I am. I should have brought rods <laughs> and you brought bait. I clearly should have brought rods. I have um, more. I mean, you're a stone-cold fox, but... Oh, thanks. Also, these ideas of beauty. This is not in the wellness category because today we're going to be talking about stuff like yoga and meditation and the sort of wellness industry, if you will, with our guests. Ooh. Yeah, we're going to be talking about how the wellness industry profits, uh, how that's sometimes sold to us as feminism, where self-care starts and, uh, you know, an industry that centers our rich white women ends, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So that's very exciting. Um, but so I'm- also the fact that, like, practitioners and people who are doing, like, great work mm-hmm. in this area deserve to be paid fairly for their work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Balance, mm-hmm. baby. Hello, Guilty Feminist. It's Deborah here, just letting you know we have a Guilty Feminist recording coming up, which is live. You can come to it. Now, we were delighted to be part of the New Normal Festival, nothing to do with the Instagram show of the same name. And it has been such a success that they've extended it. And we're doing another recording on the 31st of August at 7.30pm. Check out the Guilty Feminist website for tickets. And although the Edinburgh Fringe Festival has been sadly cancelled for 2020, the Edinburgh Fringe Festival has just started. Streaming from the 14th of August, you can see an amazing line of comedians, storytellers and theatre, including my award-winning show, Deborah Frances White Rolls the Dice, about finding my birth mother. I would love you to see it because I haven't done it since I started doing The Guilty Feminist and it's a very personal show to me. It's on Friday the 4th of September at 7.30pm London time and it will be live streamed. All proceeds from ticket sales will go towards financially supporting future young emerging artists and creatives with grants to help them make it to Edinburgh for the first time. Go to shedinburgh.com for details and to book for my show and a host of others. Also, we've got brand new merch, um, mugs, t-shirts, etc. at guiltyfeminist.com and all the proceeds uh, go to our POC for good things. And now back to the podcast.
so I'll tell you about my little wellness challenge I did this week. I knew we were meeting some wellness experts today, so I wanted to impress them. So I thought I'm going to do a little challenge. So I did an app because I'm not a meditator. Like I like doing yoga, but I find meditation very boring. So wow. I did an app. Wow. And I find my, it's hard to let my brain turn off and I know I should do it. So I thought I'm going to go and do some meditating. And I went on the app and it was, I'm not making this up. Like at first of all, it was like someone talking over the sound of running water, getting you to imagine something. Sure. And then the water was running for a while. So I just fast forwarded it a bit because I thought, well, we're going to get back into a bit where someone starts uh, talking uh, again for more uh, visualizations. Uh, I get uh, it, running water. Uh, Nothing, <laughs> just more running water. So I scrubbed a bit further, just still running water. So I scrubbed a bit further. No, it, honestly, I'm not making some running water. It was like just standing in the bathroom with the water running. And eventually I scrubbed right to the end. And then the lady was saying, did you enjoy that? Or something. She was like, oh, <laughs> thinking of these things or blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I, and I, do you know what? I felt like at first I thought I cheated. And then I thought, no, I think I'm just a high achiever. And that I was able to put 10 minutes of meditation into two minutes. Microwave meditation. So that's going to be my app. This is, my, so this is, my, this is my big app idea. Uh, Keynote, you should go you. in on this. You're going to get very rich. I'm and then so we'll upset. obviously do good things with the money. We're not horrifying capitalists who are just going to stash that uh, and buy ourselves an island. Although if we did, we could hear running water all the time. Um, this is my, this is the new Deborah Francis White microwave meditation for people who cannot listen to running water for 10 minutes while thinking of nothing. But then when I tried to get off the app, it kept saying, do you want push notifications for meditation? I was like, the word push should not be in here. This is not, that's no. And every time someone offers to push me, I'm like, no. On any app, no pushing. I don't want more things pipping up. No. I pushed cancel because I didn't want pushes. And then it said, do you want us to push you? And I was like, cancel. Do you want us to push you? Cancel. And then I realized what I was canceling was the question. And I had to say, yes, uh, oh, no, I don't want you to push me. But it happened about five times that I was, I, I got worked up and I rate. It was my fault, user error. I was pushing the wrong thing, but it felt like it was being very pushy going, you definitely do want this. You do want this. You do want this. You do so want what this. did it mean? Do you want, like, what does it mean by does it, pushing? It means, do you want me to remind you? Do you want me to push you and tell you what else we've got coming up or say you should meditate? And I was going, yeah, yeah. cancel that. I don't want that. But what but I was canceling was that. the question. So it was asking me again. And I ended and up getting And then you became more upset than ever before. Being pushy. And wow. uh, so I think I made myself more erased by going on the meditation app. 100%. Well, that'll happen to you, Debs. I was listening to, like, rain sounds trying to, like, soothe it up, but I got too caught up in the names, and I was getting a bit upset because I was like, you know, these artists need to demand more for themselves. Like, why do all these songs sound the same? Because I was listening to Wet Dreams of the Forest, right, but it sounded a lot like Tears of the City. And I was like, there needs to be more variation there. Wet Those dreams of the forest. Places. Wet dreams of the forest. It's not called that, is it? Wet dreams of the forest. <laughs> wet dreams. That sounds a lot like of wet ass the pussy. Forest. Look, I don't make the songs. I just listen to them. And it was outrageous. And so you have Tears of the City and Wet Dreams of the Forest. But the transition between them is smooth AF. And I'm just thinking, does no one care about sound design anymore? No, well, clearly there's an issue there. 
Uh, before we bring our guests on, do you have anything to tell us about wellness, anything to declare, any experiences or anything you'd like to share? You don't have to. If you've yeah. got anything, bang it down on the table. Well, briefly I shall share that um, recently I've been trying to journal and reflect more. And I just want to wholeheartedly kind of uh, recommend that as a practice and as a daily practice when things are great and when things are not great. Um, because I find that a lot of times my uh, head can have like a swirly tornado. But when I'm journaling, I'm taking the swirly tornado and I'm just kind of working it out. Like it's kind of like when your headphones get tangled and then you're just kind of like, okay, I need to undo that knot and undo that little weird loop. And um, I find that after a few pages of journaling, I feel like the headphones are just kind of like flat in a straight line yeah. out on the table. And that has been kind of my form of, if I can call it that, meditation, just kind of reflecting and having a moment of introspection. So yeah, I think kind of listening to yourself and not ignoring what's going on is such a big thing. But I know that we have some movement practitioners here, and I'm really excited to talk about that because, oh my God, um, call me Mary because I am stationary. <laughs> <laughs> okay so all right let's introduce our guests <clears throat> call Kima mary because she is stationary oh call me glee because i'm sedentary oh <clears throat> i'm not really though. i'm not really i she's not I, she's good about moving i know i've it's a lie i move every day and without it i'm lost um we have three guests today Janelle Lewis is a yoga teacher and mentor with a focus on movement and spiritual practice. Janelle teaches in an inclusive and accessible way, encouraging empowered practice. Dr. Stacey C.C. Graham supports companies, teams, and individuals in reaching their fullest potential with the help of practices and tools such as intersectional attunement, as well as emotional and social intelligence. Mia Togo is a yoga teacher and life coach who speaks out on the importance of therapy and inner work when addressing our own internal racial biases and the problem of spiritual bypass in modern yoga. Please welcome Janelle, Stacey and Mia. Okay, so Mia, let's start with you. You're speaking about the importance of therapy and inner work when addressing our own internal racial biases and the problem of spiritual bypass in modern yoga. Can you unpack that for us? Uh, well, that's a lot to unpack, <laughs> but I think... What really speaks to me with that is what attracted me to yoga so long ago. Um, I started mm, practicing 25 years ago and started teaching about 15 years ago. But before that, my background was in um, psychology and working with a really gifted coach and therapist who, who really taught me about the importance of rinsing our shadow, like doing the shadow work. But I had so much self-hate and self-loathing because I was a professional dancer back in my 20s and then I made my way into yoga and I really didn't like yoga in the beginning because I was the first yoga classes I took. I thought it was it was very bypassy. There was a lot of spiritual mumbo jumbo, but I didn't really feel the the honesty and the truthfulness. So what do you mean I by bypass? Can you just break that down? Talking about what we you hear so much right now, like a lot of light and love and go to that higher place and just, you know, be very breathy and just peace and calm all the time. Before I entered the yoga world, I was already rinsing my rage and my anger and unpacking my trauma and processing my shadow and taking ownership for what I did not like seeing in the world. What I do had you mean to heal rinsing? I don't know what rinsing means. <laughs> rinsing is actually, there's a couple ways. 
kind of like Kimo is saying, writing is a way of rinsing. It's writing your thoughts and your feelings and your memories and your, it pulls up visualizations and lets the feelings process and time travel to move through. And then also taking a pillow and a baseball bat or a tennis racket. And actually it's like trauma release, rinsing and hitting and, and saying the words, whether it's anger, whether it's sadness, whatever kind of trigger I'm in, I was able to find a way to release it in a constructive way because all of those thoughts and feelings that were very destructive would come out in um, ways that could hurt myself and other people in relationship, which led to addictive things. So it was a way to rinse out the feelings that a lot of times we're told are bad, like anger is bad and sadness is weak. And I hear that a lot in the yoga world, or I heard that in the yoga world, that you just need to be light and in the higher chakras. Positive in the love and yeah. Yeah, I've been a real big proponent of welcome all vibes, not the just the good vibes. The bad vibes are not bad. That is such a misunderstanding because if you don't understand what you deem bad, you will never heal it, right? Mm-hmm. So it's important to come to, to have a relationship and understand and unpack that to process what is mine to take accountability over so I can take ownership and change that power dynamic within myself. It's it's like what we do is decolonizing and unpacking and unlearning so much that we have taken in from childhood on. And by your shadow, do you mean your demons? Your I um, call them gremlins because they're a little bit, <laughs> they're not so overwhelming. Gremlins. <laughs> gremlins. So your yeah. shadow is the baggage that you carry with you from the mm-hmm. trauma that you've experienced or the, the bad experiences you've had or what life's uh, thrown at you, burdened you with, uh, what you've been born with, etc. So you're saying that sometimes when you go into sort of very commodified yoga spaces where it's sort of all white and light and airy and breathy, everyone has to be very light and very peaceful and just let it flow through you. And therefore, you're not really addressing or looking at or allowing uh, righteous rage or or disappointment or sadness to come out. Mm -hmm. I was not drawn to yoga in the very beginning. It took me, it was a relationship that I started to cultivate. And even when I started going to yoga classes, I felt like it was a club I was not a member of. I still felt intimidated. It still felt like there was an exclusive thing about, and this was a, a long time ago. So it took me time to understand the yoga world. And that was before it became, it, it was mainstream, but not so mainstream as it is. And I started at Yoga Works in Santa Monica. So it was really by some very senior teachers who carried and transmitted the truth of yoga in such a deep, meaningful way. So I feel really fortunate that I, I had that experience. I found my way there. Mm-hmm. Um, and those were the teachers that I studied with. And I feel very called to continue honoring that. And when you talk about addressing our own internal racial biases, I've read that there's a big problem because white people often do not address the origins of yoga, the practitioners of yoga, where yoga's come from, and they've commercialized it and made it exclusive. Could you unpack more what you mean by uh, addressing our internal racial biases? Well, I think coming into the yoga world in just my own, because I, I am biracial, I'm half Japanese and half Caucasian, and growing up in that environment, still feeling like the other and wanting to identify, and I didn't even understand it, but I look back now and go, oh, I really wanted to have a normal name. I didn't want to be Mia Kamiko Togo when I was called. I was like, oh my God, I st- just wanted to fit in. So carrying that throughout my life, yoga helped me understand and come back to know just, and the work, the inner work is to let go and, and not just mentally 
let go and intellectually, but emotionally, it, it's a process that went in the feeling realm. So it has to process out the feeling realm. It isn't something I can just make a decision. I'm going to change this. Mm-hmm. It, it's a practice. So just like in a yoga practice, when we step onto the mat, it's not just doing physical asana, which gets so amplified right now, especially it's bringing in the philosophy It's bringing in the emotional work. It's taking the time to do the inner deep dive. And you can't hold space for that. I don't think and teach that if you're not doing that work yourself. Mm. I've led many teacher trainings for yoga works. And there's only so much you can do in a 200-hour. You, you teach yoga. There's only so much you can do in a 200-hour teacher training. And I facilitated circles on philosophy as best I can to keep that lineage alive and talk about the yoga sutras and how do you take it through your own filter and your own channel so it feels very personal. And, and then um, just yeah. to, like, clarify... Uh, in order to uh, become a like licensed yoga teacher, uh, you go through a two hundred hour training. Yes. Yeah. 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 You do. Just for the people at home, because I know some of my homies. You know, they've done their mm, two hundred hours, uh, but they know that they're not done learning. It's like a drop in the bucket, and the two hundred hour is a great place where. I started at Yoga Works too. You couldn't even get on the schedule if you didn't have 500 hours. So you had to do a 300 hour advanced training. So I mentored other teachers and I got to do that here. I teach at Tri-Yoga now and I started a mentoring program last year, which I was able to mentor some of these young, these, not they're not younger, but just teachers <laughs> and help them do some of their shadow work and help them look at that part of us that feels like an imposter or that neediness or that, 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 that we bring onto, um, bring into the class that we have to be uh, in alignment with in ourselves, that we have to do our own inner shadow work to make sure that we can hold space in a way that feels authentic, it feels safe, and it feels grounded. So I've really loved being in that mentoring position, which I, I did at Yoga Works and here. So I do think people can teach, Kima, in answer to your question, after 200 hours. So there's not a real governing body that says you can or cannot. I mean, there is, but there there really isn't. And it usually takes at least 500 hours to have the, I think, and I don't know if Janelle, if you feel that same way too, that 500 hours is still just like a drop in the bucket in terms of. I mean, it, I, I think it really depends on, on the person and, and how mm-hmm. they approach the practice and um, their teachers and, and, and who they're sitting with and also just the, the position of it. I mean, I um, haven't necessarily taught for 15 years, but I've taught a lot and um, a lot of contact hours with my students, Mm -hmm. seen a lot of bodies, um, done quite a few trainings. And and I wouldn't necessarily say I have way more than 500 hours training, but I wouldn't say that that makes me more qualified to sit in the role of a teacher or to lead a training, I think um, what speaks to that is how somebody participates in the spaces, their own spiritual work, their own um, yeah. healing path, like, you know, doing the work themselves. And I also think life experience, you know, like where, you know, from what, what you bring to it when when you come in. Also, um, you have to think when, when I did my 200-hour training, and I was 36. I was like the old person on the training. So there were people that were like 19 and 20 doing this training. So when we come out the other side of it, so we've done the same training, but I would say we're going to be 
two different types of teacher, right? Yeah. Because it's like I'd had the child and I'd had a like a corporate life and a divorce and, and all these other things that um, I was bringing to the table when I was became a teacher. I think just going back to um, something that you said, Deborah, about cultural appropriation, because that's what you were speaking about, how this white Western commodified yoga has basically stripped the Southern Asian influence from it and where it's become something that is very upper middle class and very white, very ableist. And very like hetero. That's that, you know, white, blonde, skinny woman, very bendy, basically like yes. roly poly, acrobatic. Behind her head. And if you can't do that, then why are you stepping in this room? <laughs> we don't know what you're doing. And, um, and it is definitely a big problem. It is something that for me, because the yoga practice, this is my um, the part of the reason why I even accept it to come on the program because we're talking about wellness, yoga, these spiritual spaces. And for me, my issue is these practices give you the tools for self-inquiry. They give you the tools to look at the difficult things and space after space, training after training, I was seeing this bypass, this like, don't bring this difficult stuff here. Don't bring this thing about the Indian people and how we should be holding them up and listening to them. Don't, don't, please don't talk about this. Go put your leg behind the head. You know, like this is why everyone's come here to do this, to perfect their handstand, not to talk about yoga and wellness as a tools of like, you know, collective liberation or social justice. Mm-hmm. What? Collective healing. (laughs) Collective healing, exactly. Mm -hmm. So I feel like there is a shift now where people, because of, I would say, like all the Black Lives Matter protests, Mm -hmm. how people are starting to look at these things. And definitely in the wellness yoga, a lot of the stuff that's happened is is basically, especially, you know, you see it with, with yoga They've taken it and and stripped it back and are trying to resell it to folks, like Mm -hmm. even to like South Asian Indian folks. They've taken the culture, ripped it apart. The bits that they didn't jive with, well, we're just not going to do that. One of my teachers is saying it's like they've taken, you know, a copy of something and they photocopied it like so many times. Mm -hmm. And with each copy, it becomes degraded. Mm-hmm. And it because less of the authentic original copy. And I feel like that that is where we are right now with westernized yoga. And to get, you know, the essence back, we have to listen to the folks whose indigenous healing practice it is. And that's South Asian folks. Mm-hmm. And we have to hold them up and we have to amplify their voices in this practice and I'm very much committed to doing that. You know, right now I'm in a 300 hour program that is run by South Asia, even with all my hours. Mm. I'm like, okay, I I have to start to decolonize this for myself because 
The other trainings I went to, it was, I didn't really know as much as I do now, but I was sitting, I'm like, this seems really uncomfortable. We're in India, but they're no, they don't invite any Indian people to teach us anything. What's going on? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. That would be like, Janelle, can you please not start your stuff, please? We're trying to get through the sequence. Stop asking your ethnic questions. Tone police. We're all all love here. We love everybody. So it's funny you say that, Janelle, because. When I had to take all my exercise to Zoom, when I had to take all my exercise to Zoom, um, I'm used to going to try yoga because I can walk there uh, where Mia teaches. It's- I used to teach her try yoga too. Yay. <laughs> I did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and when, you know, we went into lockdown, I was like, I'm going to have to find some different ways of moving because I just didn't trust myself to not get out of bed. I didn't trust myself in lockdown. I thought I might sleep late, then scroll on my phone and then say I was going to do 20 minutes on the exercise bike and not. So I was like, I've got to program some things in. So I programmed a dance class because I thought I might as well turn this lockdown into a dirty dancing montage. You know, I'm trying to think positively, give myself something to look forward to. And I also put in some personal training, but most of what I did in the real world was yoga. I went to yoga between probably two and five times a week. And I had to find a yoga teacher on Zoom and I thought, well, why don't I find someone in India? Because it doesn't matter if they're around the corner or in India. So I found someone in India and uh, had some sessions with her. If anyone's interested, her name's Mansi Puri, M-A-N-S-I-P-U-R-I. And her Instagram I'll is Yog- Yogini <clears throat> underscore vibes. And she's right. gorgeous. But that's sort of a not unuseful kind of way to think about it because everything you're saying is chiming. I actually met an Indian woman uh, once who told me that she did not like it when uh, Western people called it cultural appropriation because she said, I feel yoga is above culture. She said, it's the om that connects humanity. And she said, it's like saying pure maths is cultural appropriation. She's like, it exists. It is human. It is above the world. So I feel like that was such an amazing thing for her to say. She was like, it's above culture. It's like greater than but to respect the om that connects humanity, you need to go back to the umbilical cord where it began. So she was saying, don't not do it. She's like, I want everyone in the world to do yoga. The world would be a much better place if everyone did yoga. She was like, don't not do it. Just plug yourself into the umbilical cord and don't do as what you were saying, Janelle, a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. So we call it appreciate the culture, don't appropriate. Yes. So we can call, we can appreciate it as much as we want to. And, you know, somebody kind of came for me a little bit because I've been doing these IG lives about these different topics. Like, oh, so what do you mean? White people can't teach yoga. And I said, well, no, I wouldn't be able to teach yoga if we followed that. I'm not Indian and I don't have any Indian heritage. However, when I teach it, I'm going to honor the culture and not tell an Asian, South Asian person that they're saying the Sanskrit wrong that they're doing it the wrong way because it doesn't jive what the white person has taught me. That's where we get into appropriation. It's firmly a part of appropriation when the people that are practicing are telling the people's culture 
how they should be practicing it. And that is indeed what, what does happen in spaces. And, oh, and gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. witness it so and I'm, see it. So. Uh, th- yeah, no, this isn't me saying to you, you're wrong for saying cultural appropriation. I absolutely understand why you're saying it. And of course, white people yeah. do. They are appropriating it. Absolutely, no question. I know that Stacey is a yogini as well. And I'd love to hear from you, Stacey and Janelle, about how you kind of claimed a yoga practice in your life because we heard from Mia a bit about it, but I personally, in getting into yoga, had to get over this idea that it wasn't for me or that that was for um, rich white ladies. And sometimes people will joke about it, not knowing how harmful that joking is, because these practices are so powerful that if anyone needs access to them, if anyone deserves to feel free to take part, you know, it's women of color, it's black women, um, so yeah, I'd just love to hear about your experiences in making this like a part of your life and a part of your wellness journey. Sure. So I obviously founded Oya oh yeah, Body Mind Spirit Retreats, which was yeah. the first holistic wellness um, retreats dedicated to Black women and women of color in the UK. There was nothing like that beforehand. And I did that specifically for the reasons you're talking about, Kima. I found this conversation somewhat more polite than I expected it to be, to be honest. But I founded that specifically because Black women and women of color have been the caretakers of the world, but no one's taking care of them. And there's been a type of internalized harm that uh, in trying to live up to these things that have been projected onto us, the strong Black woman, the mammy, and the whoever, we've neglected our own self-care. I understand like a lot of the the hashtag self-care is about going to the spa and getting your nails did and all that. That's cute. I do that too. But what can we do for ourselves every day? If we're not doing something for ourselves every day, then we can't survive in this world with good mental health. We can't Mm -hmm. because the world is against us in one form or another. As a Black woman, there's very few images out there telling me I'm valuable, I'm worth it. Right. If you do hashtag yoga on, you know, your major social media sites, it takes a long time to find someone who looks like me. And I'm not only talking about race, I'm talking about my hair, my build, the things that I care about. Right. Mm -hmm. So now you have to create a new hashtag, hashtag black yogi, hashtag black yogini, hashtag women of color do yoga, whatever it is to find us because we're not the default. So it's absolutely right. You know, how do I on the one hand counter this internalized projection of who I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be strong. Why do I need therapy? Why do I need daily meditation? Why do I need an hour to myself? I should be using that hour to right. pursue Always, excellence. right? As soon as as soon as we went into lockdown, what were the, the women telling us? Side hustle. If you come out of lockdown and you don't you're not making that money, you're not on that side hustle, then you've done something wrong. Bitch, I'm up and on my couch snuggling with my puppy. I'm good. I'm good. So that's how I came into So I actually came into it by a physical thing. I was an athlete most of my younger life. And I was an athlete when people didn't understand that muscles should be supple. And so I had a good friend who's a physical Mm. therapist. Oddly enough, I was living in Germany at the time. And no one I was seeing was seeing me. They were like, you're strong. You're fit. What's wrong? And they couldn't find the reason for the conditions that I was having. And a Black physical therapist said, you know what? You should try yoga. And I was like, okay, don't know what that is. Did it for a while. Was really annoyed. 
with like what was going on. And it wasn't until I went to India while I was working on my PhD, because during my master's program, I had specialized in South Asian studies and a part of it. My friend was like, have you ever made it to South Asia? And I was like, no, I never got to go. <laughs> and he was like, go now, because you're like, you're stressing on this PhD, go. And so I went to Rishikesh, it started in Rishikesh for the International Yoga Festival. And I was, you know, blown away. Sure, lots of white people there, no doubt. You know, the big names, we know them. No need to mention them here. But <laughs> the majority of the people <laughs> were local. And I was like, oh, this is what's missing in the yoga class. Mm. And it changed my life. Changed my mm. life. And so I've never practiced the same since that initial trip where I spent three months. And then I went back again, studied in the Himalayas. So I, I very much care about honoring the roots and the tradition. I teach courses for yoga teachers on how to make their classes more inclusive. And those courses cover a lot of things. They cover racial equity cultural appropriation, how to love the body. So like, even like little things, you're telling people, I hate when people start talking about take the feet hip width distance apart. I catch myself still saying it. And then you see the women, nobody has their feet hip width distance apart. I'm like, do you know where your hips are? Your hips aren't your shoulders. Mm -hmm. So like these body landmarks are mm -hmm. really bad for people because one, we don't really know what we look like. Most of us aren't really looking in the mirror and seeing what's there. We're seeing some projection. And then if a skinny white lady over there is telling me my inner heel should be touching and I have my big thighs, my inner heels aren't touching on this particular mm -hmm. asana. What are you talking about right now? Or like, you know, in Shirsasana, in headstand, you have to think about certain things. A, you know, a full-figured woman told me, she was like, my breasts are going to go straight into my chin. And I was like, hmm. I need to say this differently. Mm -hmm. So it's my passion about Black women taking better care of themselves and that better care not steeped in neoliberalism. It is my passion for a practice that has touched me and changed my life. And it is my passion for dismantling whiteness. So you absolutely have a place. Bitch, I am about to cry. <laughs> I'm very happy you've said yeah. this, Stacey, because I remember once a yoga teacher saying, stand with your feet hip distance apart. And I've got sort of what in the old days would have been called childbearing hips. Mm -hmm. And so I did what I thought was hip distance apart. And it was a man. And he said, is that where your hips are? And I was like, oh, yeah. And he was like, no, your hips are here. And he really just meant stand with your feet a little mm -hmm. bit apart because yeah. he was, I think he was yeah. thinking hip bones. Mm -hmm. But your hip bones are not your hips if you're me. And mm. so I was like, oh, but also then he said, put your arms out so they're still in your peripheral vision. And I did that. And he was like, no, it's there. And I went, <laughs> oh, and I'd just been reading about this. Many cisgendered women have much broader peripheral vision than cisgendered men. Yeah, I think it's something, Whoa. I mean, I don't know. This, this is, is just Stephen Pinker style hmm. evolutionary theory around <laughs> You have to be more careful if you're going to likely be attacked. I don't know. But anyway, we do. Yeah, we yeah, do. Yeah. And so I told him that and he went, oh, is that why women always go like that? When I say, he said, because that's my peripheral vision. I said, no, no, we've got really good oh peripheral vision. God. And he went, oh, thank you. Because as a man, I'd always un wouldn't understand why women would go there. I'm thinking, no, you can't see 
out the corner of your eyes there. I was like, yeah, I can. Yeah, I can. Um, so I'm this surprised is, he even listened to you. Meanwhile, he, you're No, banged, he did. Guy. He did listen to me. Can I ask you, Stacey? Sure. Because you've set this up. Everyone's entitled to feel well. And our society is so fast-paced now, as lockdown slowing us down has really demonstrated to us, that more than any previous generation, we need space to, you know, as much as I joke about my app or whatever, we do need space to meditate. We do need space to breathe. And as much as we can create access for everybody to be central to these spaces, we should. You're saying rightly that Black women don't feel comfortable in these spaces or don't feel invited into these spaces all the time because they're so white. And that would imply that many Asian people may not feel welcome in those spaces as well. Ironically, given yoga's umbilical cord to South Asia, what is it that we can do to fix that? Because there's a lot of feminists in these spaces. So I would question why. There's a lot of white feminists in these spaces. Yes. Yeah. Not necessarily intersectional feminists, which is something very different. Sure. Um, <clears throat> but there are a lot of women that I would say would believe themselves to be intersectional feminists in these sure. places. Yeah, absolutely. And I meet them on the trainings that I'm doing right now with some of the major yoga chains and studios in the city, one of which has been named a couple of times already on this call. And I can say that because the owner yeah. has publicly written about the work that they're doing with me. It's complex and it's not done in a day. So I'll start with the micro, with the individual. There's a lot of entitlement and unwillingness to sit with discomfort mm -hmm. from the individual perspective. So the entitlement is I'm entitled to this space and I take up this space in a certain way because of that entitlement. And I don't see anyone else because this is my space. I am welcome here. The space is made for me. I don't have to make any adjustments. Okay. So that's what happens first, right? And there's probably already resistance. People listening to that are like, no, that's not me. That's not me. But ask yourself, have you looked at someone who's walked into a yoga studio and judged them just by their appearance? What is that person doing here? That person surely can't do handstand, forearm stand, whatever it is. Why is that person coming? Oh, that person is my yoga teacher? wait a minute, what kind of class is this about to be? And then afterwards, I'm so surprised. Wow, this class was much better than I thought. I never expected that. That's not a compliment. That's not a compliment. Mm -hmm. It's not a compliment to tell a teacher that. It's not a compliment to tell a student that who's done a pose that you hadn't expected them to be able to do. So slow down. You can read a lot of books, and a lot of those books are on the bestseller list right now, and they're selling out, and people are reading them, and they're, they're thinking, oh, I've done the work now. No, no, no. That's just the beginning. You've read the work. You haven't done the work within yourself yet. You haven't asked yourself, do I cross the street when I see a certain person? Do I assume drug dealer if I see a certain person driving a certain car? Do I call a certain person angry when they're just expressing themselves? Do I silence or say I'm not willing to listen because I don't like the way the message has been delivered? That's how it shows up in us as individuals. So that's the micro. The macro is very different. The macro, what I'm working with businesses on is first, what are your metrics? I love data. So don't try to play me on any other thing. 
Let's talk about your numbers. Who's teaching? Who's coming into your building? How much does it cost to come into your building? Oh, you offer community yoga? Bet. What time are you offering it? Oh, you're offering it during regular working hours? So who can come? What community is this? <laughs> People love to talk about, oh, you know, it's in affluent neighborhoods. No, 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 no. In the 80s, you couldn't get a black cab to take you into Soho. That's what we know Soho as today. Shoreditch? I'm sorry. That's Tower Hamlets. Let's talk about Tower Hamlets. What do you know about Tower Hamlets? So don't talk to me about affluent neighborhoods. Yes, gentrified, but people still live there who've always been there. Are, are they coming in through the door? No, they're not. Have you tried reaching out to them? Have, do you know the local communities? Do you know who's on the ground doing work here? Do you know what people care about in Ealing? Do you know what people care about in Shoreditch? Or do you just know about the people who are coming in to spend money and then leave again? Right? So we have to understand first the metrics. Who's coming through the door? There's a lot of assumptions made. I had one client who is a white, cisgendered, heterosexual man who was telling me why black and brown women don't come into his studio. And he's hired me to do this work. And he was telling me that. Someone who can advocate for themselves. So if I come in as a client and something like that happens, it's very hard to advocate for myself in that moment. Some studios have four days of training for their front of house staff. Four days. And not once do they talk about race. Not once do they talk about gender. What happens when a non-binary person comes through the door? Oh, I can send them to the disability toilet. Nothing wrong with a disability toilet. But what are you telling the non-binary person? Oh, we didn't have y'all in mind. Sorry. We don't have neutral spaces. You can only be a man or a woman. And preferably cis man or a woman. So there's a lot that businesses have to think about. And a lot of people assume that yoga studios and, and wellness spaces are like high profitability spaces. And for most of them, they're not. Now, I'm not talking about in L.A., but in London, it's a hard business and it's a numbers game. So often the excuse is, oh, but, you know, numbers, numbers, numbers. But there are other ways to do it. You don't have to charge 4,000 pounds for your yoga teacher training. What's happening? What's going on? Another point is also around this notion that the higher the price, the better the class. It's really hard to get out of some of my clients' minds. I heard a client say, you know, there's a difference between if someone comes to teach here and if someone teaches in a community hall. I said, some of the people I've trained teach in community halls. The shit. You know why they teach in community halls? Because you won't hire them. And they want to reach the people that they grew up with. Mm. So you're just keeping a cycle. This is so interesting and uh, so compelling and thought-provoking. Yeah, we do need to make a big shift if this is not going to be a hypocritical space where there can really be no good energy. There can only be selfish energy. Janelle. What is it that you would most like the listeners of this podcast to know? When we talk about wellness, I firmly believe that everyone deserves to be well. No, no matter what pictures we see and images that we're, we're served up and how it's been packaged, fundamentally, every person, it's your birthright to be well. And moving from there... Wellness is self-determined. What makes me well 
is going to be different than what makes Amrit or Kima or Stacy, Mia or you well. So again, I need to feel my own agency and my own sovereignty in determining what, what will make me well. Like Kima, her journaling, that is part of her wellness journey. You're practicing yoga on a regular basis, right? So it looks different for different people. And what the wellness industry, and really it's another word for diet culture, because that's really what it is. And I'm going to put that right firmly out there, which is, again, comes from colonialism and white supremacy. It goes hand in hand. I would say to the white women, you have to be with us to decolonize this. This is not serving you either. This is keeping everyone small. That if being well means that I need to be on a beach in Thailand, come on. No, we all deserve better. We deserve to be well in our council flat in Shoreditch. We deserve to be well in our office job in Soho. We deserve to be well wherever we are. And it means taking wellness back and making it for everyone from where they are. How's that? That's incredible. Yeah. Love that. Very, very. And then very I'm taking impressive. little notes. I'm taking, I'm taking my Mia, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Mia, is there anything you've come here today to say that you haven't said or heard one of these other women say? I think what I'd like to share, I guess, being in the wellness community for so long and um, seeing the whiteness and wellness and see, you know, and just understanding how racism is in, in so much and white supremacy and the patriarchy so much deeply in the system of culture. And it's in the culture of yoga as well, that you, we have to be able to get uncomfortable. I mean, yoga teaches us to get uncomfortable. It's tapas. It's like, what am I willing to fucking go through for transformation? It is not an easy fucking ride. And I'm so tired of hearing about the good vibes only. And I just leave everything at the door. I'm like, no, you've got to bring all your shit onto the mat, bring it on. Bring. And I teach that way. And I say it with kindness and love, but I'm like, it's not light and love, y'all. It's truth and love because truth will light your way to love the truth, which it will free you. It's really about liberation. And we being, even though I'm biracial, I know I have white privilege. I'm working on my white privilege and be willing to fuck up. And I say this so hard, wholeheartedly, my mistakes and my struggles are as important, if not more important than my accomplishments and my achievements. Because it is really where I'm able to unpack and get into my own mud, transform and grow and be part of the collective care. So if I could say anything to anyone as a teacher, as a practitioner, bring it all out because we need authenticity. We need truth. We need to have conversations. My wellness is not going to look the same as Janelle's, like she was saying, but we can converse about it. We can share our stories and we can learn to love those ourselves and each other with more honesty. I was really hesitant. I even said the email when you guys asked me, I'm like, I do not want to center myself right now in this conversation. This is not about me. But what I bring in is my perspective of doing the shadow work. And I think this is a time that we are all being asked to do our own shadow work, especially if you have white privilege. You are in a position to hold more power in some ways. And you have to do what it takes to keep unpacking that and show up and Yoga is political. <laughs> it just is. Right. Yoga, my friends, I don't know if you know the off the mat into the world, my friend Sean Korn and Halakori, and I know you know them, Janelle and Suzanne Sterling, they've talking about racial social justice and yoga 
for a long time. And yeah, we got to keep doing the work because it's about equality and justice and freedom. And if we can't do that work to find it in ourselves, we can't go out in the world and stand for it. So yeah, we all need to show up and create space. As a teacher at, at Tri-Yoga or Yoga Works, wherever I teach, I do my best to just open the conversation and create a space for people to feel safe and heard and to go in wherever they need to go in their own journey, wherever they are. And that I think is so powerful right now. I've never been about bendy pose. My body is not bend. I am strong. <laughs> I'm st- I like sturdy and I love my sturdiness because I'm 54 years old. I have what? gone. That's right. Go on, Mia. That's Holy right. Hey, you know, on, those Mia. Asian jeans help. <laughs> yes. it's the yell- it, you, know, you know what I really want to say? It's oh. unpacking the shit. Like in my 20s, I was like ageism. Oh my God, what's going to happen when you turn 30? I'm like, I, I don't know. I'm going to get wiser. And like Janelle said, I went through teacher training when I was 36. I had some real life. I'd gone through death. I'd gone through loss. I went through divorce. I was like, and that is my wisdom if I own it. If I own that. No mud, no lotus. No mud, no lotus. That's what I'm leaving with. Wow. Ooh, right. she's making the no, no, no mud. Lotus. No we got a blossom. Mind drop. I want to <laughs> um, add something. I want to ask you guys something because um, so we have quite a few people who practice here. We've talked about how important this practice is and how inaccessible it can feel. Any kind of words of, I don't know, encouragement or any kind of pushes for those listeners as there will be many who do not practice but will benefit from who maybe have not felt comfortable getting out there. If I'm not small, if I can't put my leg behind anything, then... So, Kima, you actually hinted to that. Get on the Zoom class, turn your camera off. Mm. Get on the Zoom class, turn the camera off, do what you do. And I think that's one of the blessings of the whole COVID. There's so much yoga online. There are lots of apps, meditation. And I've seen a big you know, thing of people offering stuff that is reasonably priced now, you know, because sometimes in our hold, as somebody that offers stuff, you have to pay for the venue, you have to pay for so Mm -hmm. many things before you're even compensated for your time. Now I can say like, listen, do you guys want to do this? Come and pay me a fiver and we can do that. Or also I'm in more of a position to offer free places, to offer scholarships because We're in a virtual space. So I think if people want to do something, there's free stuff on Mm -hmm. everywhere, YouTube, Instagram, you know, people giving things away for free because they are in a position to be able to do that. And it's not necessarily just doing physical asana, it's lectures, webinars about philosophy, even journaling, workshops, Mm -hmm. all of these things being offered. And you can go on and turn your camera off, right? And can I say, if you do have the money, especially if you're white, uh, <laughs> is there any chance that you could pay extra? Like if you have the money, yes. <laughs> you can sponsor somebody else. And I know our audience are very keen to do that. When we've offered that kind of thing before, of buy a ticket for someone else or buy a place for someone else. Guilt Feminist listeners really do do that. Check out Mansi as well. We'll put her stuff in the show notes. She's in India. She's making her living as a yoga teacher. She lives and breathes it. She lives there. And there must be other teachers as well. I found her on a website called Super Prof. 
There'll be other teachers on that website. There'll be other, just look up South Asian teachers. If we're learning virtually anyway, what does it matter if someone's in North London or if someone's in North India? Or finding, if you're a white woman, find a black teacher who is doing excellent work, who is probably underfunded, who is probably under-resourced, who is probably overtired. Uh, Stace, <laughs> Dr. Stacy is uh, pointing very much to herself there. Um, Stacy, is there anything else you want to say that you came to say and you haven't left on the table? Mine is simple and I'll keep it short. I need for everyone to reclaim their agency. We feel overwhelmed and say, well, what can mm -hmm. I do? My little person, what can I do? And if you're a person with privilege, whatever that privilege may be, first of all, you can decide where you spend your money. That is the beauty of capitalism. You have a choice of where you spend your money. So you can make demands. Whatever that space is that you are taking up, wherever it's, uh, if it's a studio or a spa, wherever it is, ask them some questions. Make some demands. Your money matters. Another thing for the individual, when it comes to reclaiming your agency, what does that mean even more broadly? You know, you don't have to accept an incompetent government that doesn't care about people's well-being. You don't have to do that. How do we not do that? Because I have an incompetent government at the moment that I'm living under. Um, it's called the, Tell me about it. the Conservative Party. <laughs> and today, today oh, we're all here. they fucked up a whole generation of A-level results today. Yeah, uh, if you're listening really globally, our it. government just went, yeah, you didn't get to sit the exams because of COVID. So we'll just guess but they did a postcode thing so that kids yeah. with, I mean, three A stars, mm. which is the highest mm. thing you can get predicted from poorer neighborhoods or more marginalized neighborhood, or let's be incredibly honest, uh, more black or brown neighborhoods. I mean, some students were crying. They got like two C's and a D and they were predicted mm -hmm. three A stars. Uh, the government is now saying, well, if you've got three A stars in your mocks, you can choose those instead. I mean, it's chaos. And then ironically, one of our politicians said, well, the trouble is if you're on the side of giving you better results than you might have got, if you were allowed to sit the exams and hadn't been through the trauma of a global pandemic, we might have a generation of incompetent people down the line. Like, really? Huh. Really? Well, that would be terrible. We wouldn't In want an incompetent future? prime minister. Um, I mean, how would <laughs> we cope? Uh, Stacey, can you tell us just about Anybody listening who might want to hire you or come to one of your retreats, we can put the details in the show notes, but can you just tell us what you personally can deliver to either individuals or organizations? Sure. So for organizations, I can work with them on equity and inclusion. I focus on equity and inclusion rather than diversity. Diversity, you know, that's window dressing. What we really want is a culture shift that invites difference. So um, I do everything from strategy to implementation and including trainings. What I don't do is if an, if an organization approaches me to simply have like their checkmark training, I don't do that. It has to be embedded into a further process. And the you process do this doesn't have to be with me, but I need to know that there's a process. Do you do this for wellness corporations or Not for only. any corporation? Any corporation. I work with um, startups and AI. I work with uh, music labels. I work with yoga studios. I work with a range of companies. I'm working with breast cancer charities. So I have a, a, a wide range, breadth and depth of experience. So people can simply find me on my website, Stacy with an IE, very important, stacyccgram.com. And retreats or that type of thing, or yoga teachers who are looking 
to learn more about making their classes more inclusive. I do that via my wellness brand, which is oyaretreats.com. Awesome. Janelle, anything else you want to leave on the table slash tell us about where we can find you and how we could work with you or find your work? So I have my own website, JanelleLewis.com. I'm on Instagram a lot and it's Janelle Yoga. I'm currently, if you want to practice with me, I'm on a service called Movement for Modern Life. It's online. Nobody gets to, has to look at you while you're doing it. And um, so, so I'm there right now, but I'm on, I'm on a little bit of a, a, a break. I'm, I'm working on some projects and those will be announced really quite soon. So even more, Ooh. even more and I'm bigger spaces. Stacey's doing a shoulder shake. <laughs> <laughs> bigger spaces for me, for you to find me. It's going to be kind of like, You'd have to be wanting to ignore uh-huh. <laughs> you can find so, me. But I'm, I'm here and I'm around and I'm here to make yoga inclusive and equitable for everyone. Wonderful. And equity is a great word. Yeah. I, I hear what you're saying mm. about being equitable, about being equal. Mia, Mia Togo, mm-hmm. is there anything you came to say you didn't get to say? And where can we find you? I think I said plenty. So... <laughs> I'll just, I'll rephrase that. <laughs> Mia, Mia, okay, where can start we, over. Mia, where can we find you? You can find me on uh, my website. It's miatogolike2go.com. <laughs> I can have a Mia to go. Oh, I got that my whole life. So I use it now. And I have on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, but don't ever send me a message because you'll never get a reply. Um, no. And, uh, yeah, I teach, uh, at, for yoga works online. I teach try yoga here and online cause I'm still connected and I am a life coach. So I also see private clients. And, um, if you want to learn more about rinsing, processing and owning, and if that intrigues you, um, yeah. So I'm just excited. I get to do what I love and facilitate the way that I do. Thank you. I love that. Yeah. Um, you have been the most incredible guests. I've learned so much. I've listened hard and I've heard it. I'm, it's going to take me a few days to digest everything I've heard. <laughs> when I listen back to the edit, I'm going to see what also, you know, what changes we can make as well, you know, internally. Every time I learn something on this show, but I feel like I learned so much today. I don't think if we've ever done this before in four and a half years of listening to The Guilty Feminist, but I just feel there's something about this that I feel like the Guilty Feminist community collectively and as individuals that maybe we can get to work on this in a way that it would be nice to report back on. So I wonder if over the next six months, if you do practice yoga or meditation or anything connected to that, or you would like to start, maybe you are a woman of color who's never felt comfortable in the space before because it's so unbelievably whitewashed in your area. Maybe you run a studio, maybe you practice yoga and you want to invite somebody along and make sure they feel comfortable. Maybe you are a black woman that wants to go to a retreat for black women. If you are interested in making a shift over the next six months and maybe writing in to tell us what it is that you've done, I think we should schedule something for six months time. I think six months time is a reasonable amount of time to make a change. I know we're all in lockdown, but as I said, there's teachers you can work with all over the world. And, you know, uh, as Janelle pointed out, there's YouTube videos, there's apps, there's all sorts of things. Don't do what I do and skim through a meditation app. That was clearly, (laughs) that was clearly in retrospect, 
It's not, not. <laughs> it's a work in progress. Yeah, I was running yeah. so late today. Every single meeting I had knocked late and then I didn't get to eat. And then I was trying to do this challenge at the same time and it was stressful. And I was like, oh my God, I don't have 10 full minutes to sit and listen to water run. I'm sorry. It's just making me want to go to the loo. So I obviously yeah. have some changes to make, but I'm sure that you can think of some, if you're listening to this, that you could make too. If you've ever been interested and you've not connected or you have connected, but you're now going, holy hell, the yoga place I go to is very white. You might want to talk to them about that, write in about it, connect, invite friends, seek out different spaces to go to, seek out that community hall, and maybe write in and tell us how you're doing with that. We'll put a date in the diary for six months hence, and we will do a follow-up, but we'll also hear from our incredible guests and see how things have moved in the community. Maybe we should set up a couple of Guilty Feminist yoga virtual classes so we can work with some of these amazing teachers oh, cool. and everyone uh, can yes. chip in. And I, um, will bring, I will bring you to love mindfulness, Deborah. Yes. Bring you to love it. Bring me, I already love it. <laughs> mindfulness, and, and yeah. Mindfulness, oh, oh, yeah, okay, yes, sorry. Yes. Yeah. Sorry. I thought you said my voice. And I was like, I love your voice. What are you talking about? <laughs> you said mindfulness. <laughs> I thought I will bring you to love my voice. And I was like, wow, this has taken a turn. Because you're missing at home. Stacey's now in the dark because of some reasons. Like, it doesn't matter why, but she is. So out of the darkness, I just heard, I will bring you to love my voice. And I was like, wow. <laughs> no. This is a cult. <laughs> Hello, Guilty Feminists. This is Deborah. Now, we were so inspired by our conversation with Janelle, Mia, and Stacey this episode that we've decided to partner with them to offer online yoga classes to our listeners with these remarkable teachers. We're still working out the details of exactly what, when, and how much, but if you go to guiltyfeminist.com slash B hyphen well, that's B-E hyphen W-E-L-L, you can register your interest and we'll let you know as soon as bookings open, which will be very soon. We're very excited to start some Guilty Feminist online yoga and we hope you can join us. And now back to the podcast. Core, you're going to do music for us today, as you have done a couple of other times. Now, Amrit, mm -hmm. you are South Asian. I uh, am. How do you feel about all of this? I echo a lot of what's been said already. I think it's been articulated very well. Um, I think I'd add to the question about accessibility and from a South Asian arts point of view, a lot of the arts in um, Indian classical music and martial arts are all very, very interconnected. So. If you feel like you can't get into yoga straight away, but you have a link into martial arts, there's a way, you know, for you to find yourself through that. There are so many ways in. Um, and I really encourage people to study the history of yoga and study the cultures behind it, but also how colonization changed a lot of the arts generally, like the music that I started off in. I came into yoga through music, so Sikh scripture. Kundalini yoga is rooted in Sikh scripture and a lot of the mantras from Kundalini yoga come from Sikh scripture is musical and you can sometimes just be creative with the ways that you get into finding yourself and 
There's a mantra, a kind of verse in the Sikh scripture that translates to the one who conquers the mind conquers the world. And I feel very, very blessed that I was born into a Sikh Indian family because meditation and those practices have been a part of my life from childhood. But I do say that you're not born a Sikh, you're not born a Muslim, a Hindu, you become one. And that comes through what everyone's been talking about and that self-study and going within yourself and finding it within yourself. And I believe that everyone's capable of that and that you don't have to be born into a specific circumstance to be able to access that. And um, we all have the ability to find that within ourselves. And for me, it was through music and Indian classical music. And um, it's trickled its way through the music that I write now and hopefully making it even more accessible. I think that's what that Indian woman Amazing. was saying about it. It's bigger than all of us. It's like the om, the music, the rhythm, the heartbeat, the connection. And if we could get back to that, if more and more and more people could tap in and get back to it, we would start to connect to each other as human beings and and start to see some of the worst inequities that have happened in the name of colonization. So Amrit, thank you so much for those beautiful words. And uh, now, please, would you close us out with some music? What a great show. No, I feel like I've done a yoga session just by listening. <laughs> it was yoga for yeah. the mind yeah. and, and for the soul and the spirit. Yeah. I so appreciate everything that you all brought. Amrit, before you go, do you want to tell us about any upcoming music you've got coming out? Uh, yeah, the music that's out right now is the Blind um, single and the music video directed by Ramani Kalualia and All Woman Crew. And same with the song I'm about to sing is called Paradise Lost. And that music video is also directed by a South Asian woman called Brother Shogupta and a very like majority woman crew. It's amazing to work with women in film. And where can we find you? So, on Instagram at ms.amritcore. And you'll find me everywhere through there. All right, uh, take it uh, away, Amritcore. Um, so just a quick introduction to this song. I wrote this song um, called Paradise Lost. Um, during the time I was working with children in care a lot and I think the major thing that that work taught me was that I was trying to save everyone and have a major saviour complex which I'm sure a lot of guilty feminist listeners may also have um, and I think I went through a whole awakening and realising that actually I'm so good at advocating for other people I need to learn how to advocate for myself and so as much as this song is written for the people that I was caring for it's also written to myself. So this song's called Paradise Lost. Save us some real peace of mind, but you.
Bob and our very special guests, Janelle Lewis, Dr. Stacey C.C. Graham, and Mia Togo, with music from Amrit Kaur. The Guilty Fabulous theme tune was composed by Mark Hodge and produced by Nick Sheldon. The producer was Tom Selinski for the spontaneity job. Thanks to Rachel Craft, Regina DCO, and everyone who made this episode happen, as well as all of you for listening. For more information about this and other episodes, visit guiltyfabulous.com. I'm yeah. getting I'm getting compliments I didn't even ask for. Yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, I see. You, Tom's saying, "Can you all Outstanding. unmute?" Yeah, can you unmute? Because then, if you laugh, we'll hear you. Yeah, but Excellent. also, don't laugh. No, do know? laugh. Do laugh. Only if you want to laugh, though. It's only because we've told the audience that you might laugh. That's now it's going to be awkward mm. if you never laugh. You don't feel obliged to do a fake laugh, though. Um. But if you did, make it convincing. <laughs> yeah, like we, these should be Emmy winning. They don't be Emmy winning laughs, but Emmy nominated laughs. My goodness, that was funny. I must tell a friend. <laughs> indeed, indeed. Uh, yeah, so I, listen, I agree with you, friends, in retrospect. It's hard to see. A huge thank you to all of our amazing patrons sponsoring us at the Smash the Patriarchy level or above. And that's Valerie Ma, John Quilcoy, Sarah Brown and Sarah Boom.